the desert. If you're staying, would you uh, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, you can uh, turn there in your Bibles, or if you don't have your Bible with you or handy, you can look at uh, it in the bulletin. We're looking at verses 1 through 12. Um, before I read, I just want to ask you something. Like it, it, we're, we're coming to this, we've read, we've read Exodus, we've looked at Exodus, and it has been action-packed, to say the least, right? We have had these huge events. We've had the plagues, God, discipline, and wrath God brought upon Egypt. Not discipline, it was wrath. We've had the, the loving discipline of the Lord bringing His people through various trials and tribulations, bringing them to the Red Sea, yet making a way, bringing them to a place where the water wasn't fit to drink, and yet making it clean and, and sweet, bringing them to a place where there was no food, and He brought food, bringing them to a place where there was no water at all, not even bitter water, and He provided water from the mountain, from the rock, and then bringing them into this, this contest with, the, uh, with Amalek and, and giving them victory, you know, when they're not trained for war and they're not ready for war, yet God, His presence, His power, bring, you know, wins the day. And now we have a conversation. It's weird. You know, when somebody asks you, tell me how your day was, you'd usually say what you did, Right? How many people have checklists? You have checklists? You'll say, how did your day go? You'll say, well, I got this done and this done and this done. These are the things that happened. And I said, cherish a great story from your life. You're going to tell me about an event. Well, I, I, I went cross country. I, I, I jumped out of an airplane. I did. You're going to talk about the things you did. When I ask you, how, tell me about your day or key events in your life, how many of you go to conversations? Maybe not. It's not the first thing you think of. But here we have just two guys sitting down talking. And yet, something amazing happens. It's an amazing, miraculous, wonderful one-on-one between Moses and Jethro. It's so profound that it's recorded here in the Scriptures. Now, we know not every conversation has been recorded to this point. <laughs> I'm assuming that they talked to each other, the Israelites. There's a million of them. I'm sure there's some things said that weren't recorded. There's some normal things, just normal conversation. How's your day? How are you doing? This one is recorded for a good reason. We need to hear it. We need to see it. There's a lot we can learn from it. And so, with that said, let's read God's Word. Before I do that, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for recording something that seems to be a a break in the action, something that's not a a miraculous event at first glance, not a battle, not water out of nowhere, not bread from heaven, but Lord, here we have this conversation, and Lord, we thank you for recording it, and Lord, I pray that we would learn from it, um, be instructed by it, be convicted by it, and um, be inspired by it, Lord to um, have these kind of conversations. Lord, speak through me. Help me as I preach your word. Help us all to hear and believe and be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Exodus 18, 1-12. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said... The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. That's Mount Horeb. And when he sent word to Moses, and when he sent word to Moses, um, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and he went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all for the hardship that had, all of the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord, um, how the Lord, the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and he has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, There's three things I want us to take note of as we move through this passage. That might be surprising, but might not. But the first first thing I want you to see is the humility of Moses. Second thing, the greatness of Yahweh. And third, we're going to look at the response of Jethro. The humility of Moses, the greatness of Yahweh, the Lord, and the response of Jethro. Uh, first, I just want to address something that you, know, you might find curious. Uh, we don't know why or when Moses sent Zipporah and his sons back to Midian. It's not recorded. Uh, it, you know, there was this uh, really interesting event. I don't know if you remember from our study where they're on their way, and then the Lord comes to kill Gershom, and and then there's this dramatic event of circumcision and and blood, and and he's spared. And we remember that that was because here we have the son of Moses who's going forth. Moses is going forth to, you know be the servant of the Lord and to see his power made forth, but he hadn't, hasn't given this, the sign of the covenant to his son. And we realize that the promise has to come before the power. And, you know, it, it could have been after all that that Zipporah said, hey, can we just go back? And you, you wouldn't blame her, you know? <laughs> hey, we're going to go back home for a little bit. When did you finish all this? It could be that once he started, you know, pronouncing the judgments on Pharaoh and, and, and it got really hairy, that he could have said, hey, I want my, my family to go back. It could be that um, it could be that Zipporah was with child because I mean again Moses is eighty, but only Gershom is mentioned the first time, 
And now we have a second son, so it could have been she went home to because she was pregnant. I, I don't know. And um, so we're not really sure, but we have this reuniting. We have them coming back together. Um, he's, they're settled at Mount Horeb. They've been in the same place for a while. Um, they, they, this is where God you know, brought the water down from, from the rock to the camp from Mount Horeb. This is where the battle with, the, with Amalek had happened. And so they're still in the same spot. And Jethro, the father-in-law, brings the, the, this family back to, to Moses. And so um, we haven't heard about Jethro since chapter 4. Um, he, he's, he's, called, he's given two names. Sometimes people get confused, but some commentators think that there's two people he's talking about. But the, he's given the name Ruel and Jethro. Uh, that first one means friend of God or shepherd of God. And Jethro is derived from uh, a word meaning abundance or superiority. And, um, and so the commentators I trust say that this is probably, he had one guy, two names, one a common name, another a more priestly official title he had, which is which, we're not sure. Uh, I think Ruel would be the official name because, you know, his son-in-law calls him Jethro. It's probably his common name. And um, he's called a priest of Midian. And um, he had some kind of spiritual authority among the Midianites. But this is where Moses lived for 40 years. He lived in the household of, of Jethro and uh, served him as a shepherd, was his son-in-law. And now we have them coming back together. Uh, and the last time we hear of, of Jethro is when God commissions Moses. And this is interesting. Um, God shows up, if you remember, the burning bush, says, Go. I'm going to give you signs. I'm going to give you the staff. You're going to do these amazing signs. You go. You have my blessing. And then before he goes, he asks Jethro's permission. Now, I didn't point that out last time, but when we went through that, but that's interesting, isn't it? You know? Like, I don't... Like, if God told me to do something, I don't think I would go to Billy, my father-in-law, and say, is this okay? I'll just do what God says, right? You know, hey, we're wrong. God told me to. But why, why, would, why would he do that? Why would, why would Moses... You know, ask Jethro's permission because Jethro had authority. He was, you know, that that was it made sense. That was a cultural norm that he's going to ask. Hey, I'm going to take your daughter and your grandchildren. I'm going to. I've been living in your household. God has told me to do this. Do I have your blessing? And Jethro says, Hey, you know, your God told you to do it. Go by, by all means, go. But he submitted to Jethro. That was the dynamic. Again, it's not like today. You know, we have much more, much more of this leaving, cleaving. <laughs> well, it happens now when you get married. You're kind of your own family. But it was very common for families just to live in the same, same area, in the same household. And, and again, to have, uh, you know, Abraham, uh, you know, had, you know, Abra- no one, they didn't, they didn't run off when they, when they got grown up. Um, well, like they're supposed to do now. Anyway. Um, but... It was, it was common, it was, it was natural for him to go, father-in-law, head of the household, can, do you mind if we, can we leave? Do I have your blessing? And he, that was the last time we heard from him. So now, a lot's happened, hasn't it? A lot has happened since that day. Um, when Moses left, he was a shepherd who might have had a, you know, an hallucination. <laughs> you know, from, from the worldly point of view. You saw what? A burning bush? That's normal. It didn't burn up? That's weird. Are you sure you saw it? You're the only one there? Okay. You have a staff. A lot of shepherds have staffs. Anyway, so you're like, okay. Now, all this proves true. All that God told him has come to fruition. And now Moses went from shepherd, who smelled like, to now 
The leader of over a million people, the leader of a nation. That's quite a promotion. That's quite a step up in authority and title and class, right? But I love what we see next. His father-in-law shows up. He sends word, I'm almost there. I'm, 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 I'm outside the camp. I'm close. He sends a messenger. I'm here. And Moses, the leader of a nation, goes out to meet him. From our point of view, that's really surprising. Um, being a leader of a nation. Okay, so like we elect a leader of a nation. Can you imagine, say you were... Anybody friends with the current president? I don't know. Maybe you, maybe so imagine one of your best friends being becoming the president, and you're like, "Hey, I'm just I'm I'm in Charlotte. <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm coming to see you, buddy." And then him going, "I'm gonna get in the car, and come halfway." No, you wouldn't expect that. You would expect to have to go. And even though you've known the guy 20, 30 years, you'd have to go through uh, you know, security checks. Uh, the, you know, they'd have to check you out, do background. Who did you vote for? You did vote for your friend, right? I don't know. There'd you know, be all this stuff that they would have to do to even approach him, to get close to him. But here we have Moses, the leader. who's Everyone's bringing, we'll see next, everyone's bringing their problems to him. Moses, tell us what God says. He's a mouthpiece of God to all these people and he goes out to meet his father-in-law. In this relationship, nothing has changed. And I, just, I want us just to note that. That this whole experience has not caused Moses to be puffed up. He, he's not prideful. He doesn't think, now I'm somebody, now I've got this. He's still the same Moses. He loves his father-in-law, he respects his father-in-law, and he goes out so that Jethro can receive him as the, as the submissive. He's submitting to him. He bows to him as it is the custom. All that has happened has not changed him. I would argue it's made him more humble. Why is it that so many Christians, so many of us, especially Early on, when we become Christians, act so full of ourselves. <laughs> I gave a question to the, the Faith Conversations uh, small group this morning. Of have you? Can you remember before you were a convert, did you ever have an interaction with a Christian that just turned you off? It turned you off to the gospel? Now, how, why is that? Is it something wrong with the gospel? Well, I mean, the gospel does divide. The gospel does, you know, pierce to the heart. And either you're going to love it or hate it. But... Usually, you know, a lot of times if you're only on this side, you realize, no, that was that, that's kind of how that person interacted with me. There was this, they acted better than me. <laughs> they acted like they had all the answers. And somehow that they earned that. You know, there's this phase when you become, people become Calvinist. If you're not sure what a Calvinist is, I'm a Calvinist. Anyway, I mean, we're Calvinist. We're Reformed in our theology. But when people start to learn and figure out Reformed theology, they call it there's this caged period, caged Calvinist. You need to lock them up. Because they get so, they, they know the theology and they get so, look, I figured out the secrets. I understand the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And they start telling people and they really just turn people off because in their excitement they act arrogant, full of themselves. I've got something to tell you that you need to hear. You think you're a Christian. I don't think you are. Here's the real truth. Oh, that's not... No. 
By the way, John Calvin didn't do that. That's really this thing called, you know, that's not Calvinism at all. We get so full of ourselves and act, and we turn people off because we somehow twist it and think that it's our own pride that got us here. But remember what, remember what Paul says in Philippians 2. Again, this, this plays out here in the New Testament. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, it's like if you are really a Christian that's being transformed, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And then he goes on to say, this is what this is the mind of Christ. That he who knew equality with God looked at that as something not to be grasped, but made himself a servant, made himself nothing. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so this encounter with God, this experience of God's grace, experience of God's power, has not puffed up Moses, it's humbled him. He didn't come out through all these, these events and seeing God's power and being raised up to this being this leader of God's people to now he says, no Jethro, you bow to me. He comes and he goes, Let me, I'm going to bow to you. It doesn't go to his head. And he's able to come humbly. He's, not, he's, he's in the world but not of the world. He's operating as he should as the son-in-law and he, and he bows to him. He, he goes to receive him and he sits with him in his tent. He considers Jethro higher and, and he serves, uh, as a, he sees himself as a servant to Jethro. And again, I don't think this is a big jump, but that's how we should view ourselves. If we experience the greatness of God and the power of God, it shouldn't puff us up, it should humble us. It should humble us. And we should approach people as we're talking to them, as we're interacting with them, not as people who've got it all figured out, who, that, we've, that we've somehow by our own intellect and our own spiritual maturity have, have, have you know, you know, delved into the depths of what it means to live and who God is. No, it's by grace you have been saved, not your works. And faith itself is a gift of God, not any reason to bo- for you to boast, but only we're to boast in God's goodness and His greatness. And that brings us to the second point. The greatness of Yahweh. Look what, look what happens. They, they meet. He humbly approaches Jethro as his, as, as, as his elder, as his father-in-law. And it says that um, in verse... I said, no, it's not 18. Sorry. Um, it said that they then talked about and discussed each other's welfare. They went in and talked about how each other is doing. How you doing? Just common. You haven't seen each other in a long time. Let's, get together. Let's, let's, let's talk about how you're doing. What's been going on with you? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't this unusual thing. It was a very, a very common occurrence. This is what would happen all the time. There was no email. There was no text. There was no, you know... You didn't see people for months and months, years at a time, and now they're fine together. Let's, let, let's, just, let's just sit down and talk. I care about you, care about me. How, how, how's it going? And what is the topic? When, when Jethro says, tell me about how you're doing, Moses talks 
the whole time about Yahweh. He spends his time talking about... Imagine how this could have gone. Well, just the other day I was on this mountain holding up a staff. And we won. And before that, I was up on the same mountain and I hit a rock. Water came out. And before that, uh, I had all these people you know, giving me a hard time, uh, fussing and grumbling. And I'm like, God, what do I do with them? He kept giving me answers. And I told him what we're going to do. And uh, I threw a limb and some water and it became sweet. It was bitter. It was poisonous before. Did I mention that? And uh, I, all the time I raised up my staff and, and the, these, you know, the whole sea parted. And then I raised it up again. And then I don't know why Moses all become, became more southern, but he just did because he's boasting. I don't know why. <laughs> just seemed natural. Anyway. Um, no, that's how it could have gone. Moses, what have you been up to? Well, I've been doing this. But you see, he's not prideful. He's not puffed up. Because what? He gets what? I didn't didn't accomplish any of this. He gets that God has been gracious and merciful. And that this isn't because Moses is so great. It's because God is so great. And so when he goes, hey, what's been going on with you, Moses? Let me tell you about what my God has been up to. Let me tell you about how He's blessed me. How it's affected me. Yeah, you want to know about me? Let me tell you how God is loving me. How God has helped me. That's what He does. He talks about all that Yahweh, it says specifically in that verse, all that Yahweh had done. Trying to find my place. He said, all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Again, Moses like, yeah, he was there. He was, he was acting. He was acting in faith. But that doesn't come up. He says, what did Yahweh do? Yahweh brought the plagues. Yahweh performed the miracles through that. Yeah, Moses cast the staff down, but Yahweh turned it into a snake. Yeah, Moses touched the, 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 touched the Nile, but Yahweh turned it into blood. Yeah, all these things that God had done for him... To him, through him, God did it. And that's really, that's what a testimony is supposed to be. When you, as a, as a believer, are asked to, you know, talk about what's been going on with you, as a believer, you have the opportunity now to say, let me tell you what I've been doing, but let me tell you how God's been at work in my life. If somebody who really cares about you, is really your friend, really interested in you, and you're sharing ideas, and you ask how they're doing, they ask how you're doing, that's an opportunity to do what? Don't just talk about how you've kept, you know, done your to-do list, but to talk about the ways you have been, the things that you've been struggling with, the things that, you, that God's been doing. No, he says, he talks about all that God has done, he's, it's, it's, it's for, it, he shows his power, it's not my power, God has done this. And then he also says, no, it's a little phrase at the end, for Israel's sake. That's important. It's not what God has done, but why He did it. He did it for my good, for our good. He's doing these works of power because He cares about us. It's for our sake. That's where you and I come in. That's where Moses comes into the picture. That's where God's people comes into the picture. Look what God has done for me, to me, because He loves me. And then He talks about all the hardships that have come along the way. And 
when, when people ask you how you're doing, what, what, what do people generally want to hear? What do you want to hear when you ask, hey, how are you doing? You want, if you're busy, you want to hear fine. I'm good, I'm good, everything's great. Okay. We'll go back to what I'm doing. You know, he doesn't just talk about all the good things God does. He talks about all the hard things. Were there hard things? We've just looked through it. It's a lot of hard things. Like Moses probably has three stomach ulcers. I don't know. I mean, that's a lot. It's a big job, right? And people have been griping and complaining and about to kill him, you know, multiple times already. It's not a good first couple months um, from that perspective. There's been a lot of adversity, a lot of hardship, a lot of close calls, a lot, I mean... Between the Red Sea and the, and the most powerful army in the world, that's a big deal. He talked about all those things. He didn't, he didn't minimize the struggle. He didn't minimize the problem. He talked about all the things they went through, but how God delivered them. And again, this is, this is really what a testimony should consist of. When you've been, have you been asked to share your testimony with a, a group of Christians? Um, I'm not going to ask anyone right now. Well, maybe I should. Anybody volunteer? No. Anyway, but anybody want to stand up and do that right now? No? Okay. But what, what should it consist of? It should consist of this, these three things. What has God done? What are the struggles you faced? And how has He seen you through? How has He revealed Himself to you and brought you to, to faith? How has He... What are the things you've struggled with along the way? It hasn't been easy. We don't want to go, oh yeah, I became a Christian. Everything's easy now. And if we don't share the hardship, that's what it's going to be implied. You just become a Christian. You know, you need freedom from sin. Trust in Jesus and He will set you free from sin and that's, that's it. And you walk off. No, there's some struggle that's going to come. There's some struggle that's going to come. But God is efficient for that too. We have to share that whole thing. Again, the subject is not me. The subject is, I believed. I'm victorious. I'm fighting the good fight of faith. I'm doing this. But what the Lord is doing in and through us. And that was Moses' stance. That was how he taught. Again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. Moses has been humbled even more than he was before by the goodness and greatness of his God. And it's evident in his conversation. He makes, makes it known. The power of God, the struggle that they faced, he's faced as a, as a believer, as a, as a child of God, and the and that God's faithfulness to deliver them from all those struggles and to see them through. When that's the testimony, when it's not a prideful, let me, let me ask you these four questions, you better have the right answer. Let me ask you the four spiritual laws. Let me tell you what you need to know. Let me, let me tell you how great my life is now that when you come humbly and honestly with people, with the goodness of God and your struggle, people, that sounds real, that rings true, And if the Spirit's at work, they're going to go, tell me more. Tell me more. And we see the result here of this kind of testimony, of this kind of conversation in the family. Let me tell you about what God's been doing in my life 
And what happens? Jethro responds in faith. You're like, is there evangelism in the Old Testament? Yes! <laughs> and I think it's, you know, one commentator pointed out how important it was to see that it's placed here. What's just happened? This is the first time, the last, chapter, last passage, they have fought Gentiles. This other nation has come out in war against them and they've had to fight them. Now we have a Gentile coming and being converted. It's not going to be all war. It's going to be fight. We talked about the good fight of faith two weeks ago. The struggle, the opposition. But they're going to be outsiders who will respond in faith to the goodness of God and the testimony of believers. Even in your family. Just think how comforting this is. It's the hardest place to do evangelism, isn't it? The hardest people to share the gospel with are, are, your, are your family. And here you have, I mean, son-in-law, father-in-law dynamics can be difficult. Not as much as mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. I, that, I said pause there. No, anyway. I'll let that sink in. No, but like, that, that's, not, that's not necessarily an easy dynamic. And here you have... Moses moved to humble confession of God's greatness and this man who's in a higher level, who's the authority in the situation, the higher, you know, higher privilege, listening, and him being humbled, and him being a priest, a spiritual leader, back home going, what I've been doing? No. And he, look what he says. He confesses faith. What does he say? He says, Blessed be Yahweh. Blessed be the Lord. That's the, he uses the covenant name. Blessed be, not blessed be God. Like this is the same God as my God back in Midian. No, blessed be the God of Israel. Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. No, Moses' name is not mentioned in there. Look what the God of Israel has done for Israel. Praise Him. Bless Him. May He be glorified. And then He says, and this is where we get the sermon title, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. He confesses faith. He says, may God, may the Yahweh be praised. He says that there is no other gods before Him. He's, he, he, even before the, the first commandment is given, He's got it. <laughs> That's the natural response of, of hearing the goodness, the glory, the faithfulness, the power of Yahweh. He responds and says, there is no other God but Him. And these arrogant, those who have acted arrogantly in unbelief, the Egyptians, were brought to nothing. And this isn't nothing. If you lived in Midian, you knew who the, who the power was in the region. It was the Egyptians. And he's going, the greatest power on earth has now been defeated by one greater. He confesses faith. He believes. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful reality. Again, this is the antithesis of, of, of Amalek coming to fight. 
We have a Gentile who's not just an enemy, but now a believer. What, what, and we see this all, this, again, this has always been the, the, again, you think evangelism, Old Testament? Yes, Israel is to be the light to the nations. And throughout the stories we read, we're going to see people, even before we get to the New Testament, we're going to see non-Israelites, people not of Israel, become believers. That this, what we see in Ephesians is already proven true. The great mystery is, of the gospel is how this is going to happen, how this can be possible. But Ephesians three six, um, Paul says this mystery, uh, the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, the members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the, 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 we knew it was true. Believers knew it was true. Moses knew it was true that this Gentile can be brought in. But how? How can it be true? How can this person who's not a covenant, part of God's covenant people, be received? How can we as a covenant people who are so sinful and, and reject God and have to bring these sacrifices daily, how can we be received? The answer is the mystery is solved in the New Testament, Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 13-16, But now in Christ Jesus you who are once far off and were brought near by the blood of Christ... For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, that is Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That plays out, that that proves true here in this conversation with Jethro and Moses. We know that he, he, he confesses his faith, but also he responds not just in words, but in an act of worship. Note that. He brings a sacrifice. And it's not that he sacrifices, but he brings a sacrifice. There's a, there's a, a whole... There, you know, it says there's two types of sacrifice that is brought here. Um, he says... Um, he brought a burnt offering and sacrifices. And the burnt offering goes all the way back to, to Noah. When they got off the boat. You know, again, the, we haven't had, the law hasn't been given yet. And the, and the rituals and the, and the rules for sacrifice hasn't been given yet. But this goes all the way back to when Noah got off the boat and gave a whole offering. He says, he gives a whole animal. And all of it's devoted to the Lord. And he's saying... All that I have is yours. All that, that's a symbolic act of you are my God and I'm giving you what's of value to me. I'm putting you first and giving this as a pleasing sacrifice to you. Totally devoted to you. Um, and, 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 and he does that. He's showing I'm totally devoted to Yahweh, to God. And then he also bring other, he brings other sacrifices. He brings uh, other animals to be offered that probably were just a portion were burned, a portion were put on the altar, and then the others were, were eaten. You know, there's, as, we, as you look into Leviticus and you read those rules and, uh, for sacrifices, some are wholly given to the Lord, some are cooked and then get to be shared and by the family that brought it. And, um, and there, there were Thanksgiving offerings. And so he, he comes not only saying, I believe, but he shows that he believes by taking action, by worshiping in the way that God had prescribed. And, and he, he, he gives, he sacrifices of himself. He lays down something that's valuable to him to give to God. And then he also brings other sacrifices that are shared. So there's a, there's a, there's a, 
There's a confession of faith. There's an act of worship which should come with a true confession, true belief. And then the, the beautiful thing at the very end, he's received by the people. Here this Gentile sits down and eats with the elders of Israel. And that uh, probably it was the, the, the very sacrifice he brought that was, that was devoted and given to the Lord. The, what they, they broke bread. They brought, shared that food and ate together. He's received into the fellowship. And it's as though that if he, if he decided to, he could have stayed. It says he, later he goes back to Midian, but he was one. He was part. He wasn't a secondary citizen. He wasn't kind of just a, a yeah, you're in, but not really. No. Before the sign of circumcision, before anything, he believed and he brought sacrifice and he's eating with the leaders of God's people, dining with them, breaking bread with them. And that's what we should do. When we think about evangelism, sometimes we think about it just as certain methods of let me go out, let me go door to door, let me share the faith, let me you know, check the list. They said yes, move on. What needs to happen when someone becomes a Christian? When someone confesses faith, we need to encourage them to come and worship. There needs to be an outlet. How do I give my life? How do I serve God? We need to help them in that. Show them that. Not just confession, not just a yes, not just a prayer, but also what we need to do. We need to engraft them into the church. And that's the kind of evangelism that that we want to do. We want to not just think about, okay, evangelism and this are not two different things. But so often that's the case. We've we've separated it out. No. It says to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Discipleship begins with having these normal conversations with people, making time for that, making that a priority. And then when you have these conversations with people that God has put you in, in connection with, whether family or friends or co-workers or classmates, and they ask about how you're doing, that's an opportunity to talk about what God's doing in your life. And if they believe, if they want to know more, they confess faith, bring them into the body of Christ. You know how valuable it is to be here. You're here. I'm kind of preaching to the choir. You know how important it is to be with the people of God. And you've probably tried to do life as a Christian on your own, and it's very hard, isn't it? Don't have other flesh and blood people believing and singing and praying the same things. When someone believes... When someone confesses faith, help them. Help them to be engrafted. How do I serve? How do I worship? Where do I go? How can I be with people and commune with them and do life with them as I go? It is, we stop all the action and we focus on a conversation. But in this conversation, there was just as big of a miracle as defeating the Amalekites and water coming from the stone. A Gentile, an unbeliever, was converted. (laughs) He shared a testimony that wasn't about him. It was about God and what He had done. Not only about what He had done, but how they had struggled as he was doing it. How his people had struggled. How Moses had struggled. How they didn't get it right. Yet God was faithful in their faithlessness. And y'all, when you talk about the gospel, you've got to be transparent about your failure and your sin. And that's where God loves you in that. He keeps loving you. That's what people want to hear. 
un, a love that will never let you go. Our assurance of pardon. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jethro heard that and said, Yahweh is the God. There's no one greater than Him. And he worshipped and he was engrafted into God's people. He ate with them. He dined with them. Amazing. When people ask you how your day was going, include your conversations. Conversations are important. Even I struggle with that at times. Camille's like, how was your day? I didn't get anything done. What I do for a living is conversation. <laughs> There's a lot of admin things to do. There's sermons to prep. But sometimes even I go, what did I really do today? I had conversation with four or five wonderful people and talked about the gospel. That is something, isn't it? <laughs> and Camille has to look at me and go, that was something, Grant. You did a lot today. You, that, was a, you, you did, that was good. That was ministry. I'm like, you know, you're right. Even I get surprised by that. Even I boil down what is it I'm doing to the things I get done. No, it's the people you interact with. It's the things you decide to talk about. Things you get to talk about. And the most important thing we can talk about is God's love and power, work of redemption, power to save, power to see you all the way home to Him. Strength in the struggle. Comfort in the affliction. We get to talk about that. To each other, and those who aren't part of our fellowship. And God uses that to bring people into communion with us. We're going to do something now that they did then. We're going to dine together. We're going to break bread together. Isn't that cool? We still do that. We do that every Sunday. We, we, we have the bread and have the, the fruit of the vine. And, and it's, it points to what Jesus has done, but also what He's made us one. And so if you're a Christian... If you're a member of a church in good standing that, that preaches the gospel, if you're if you're not under church discipline, if you're here and you're wor- and you're here to worship and you know Jesus, this isn't just for faith Christian church, but we want you to feel a part of God's people. Come take and eat and 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 share in this meal. We are all together as brothers and sisters in Christ, made one and have been saved not by how much faith we have or, the, or our works, but by what He has done. He is good. He is great. He has saved us through the cross. We're going to have this meal just like they had a meal. They shared in the sacrificial meal. But we don't have to keep sacrificing because Christ has come. He is the true sacrifice. We don't do this to re-sacrifice Christ. We do it to commemorate and to, and to remind us ourselves that the sacrifice has come. The atonement is finished. Jesus has done the work. He is great. And it humbles us, it encourages us, and gives us strength, like it did Moses. And gives us something to talk about when people ask how, how it's going. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. Help us to, to remember this and embolden us to not have to come up with some method or some scheme or some approach, but just be honest about our struggle about our trials and tribulations, but how our Lord, our God, is with us through them and has seen us through and is seeing us through them, even in process. May we give a testimony of your goodness and grace and may many, many, many more come to this table through that testimony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.